Hello, and welcome to our podcast called The Virtual CISO Chronicles. In this podcast, I interview a virtual CISO to talk about their experience in cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a software platform exclusively for virtual CISOs who are cybersecurity professionals that consult with businesses um, to build their cybersecurity programs. To tell you a little bit about me, I have over 22 years of experience as a startup lawyer, and I like to think of myself as an advocate, especially in the fields of data privacy and cybersecurity. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, and I absolutely love listening to people's stories. So I started this podcast to feature people who are working hard in cybersecurity to make the world a better place. Our guest today is Don Pekka. Don, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So initial question I ask pretty much everybody, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and if you can try to throw in something that's non-security related. Sure. Uh, my background is I've worked in a lot of banking and healthcare arena for quite a few years. And the funny way I got started in security was I was um, running security and kind of network. And they asked me to also take on a website. And within weeks of me taking over that website, uh, it got defaced. And oh. so that really started to lead me into how did they get into the website? How did they deface it? And it got me into the offensive side of security because as I learned the defense, I'm like, well, how would I actually be proactive in learning that they were um, doing this on my website instead of just reacting to what they did after the fact? Yeah. And that got me thinking about holistic uh, security holistically. And then I, I got into security full-time with the idea of we really are behind the curve and we we seem to be failing over and over again. And the big corporations can bounce back, but the small corporations, I was seeing a lot of them fold. And that really bothered me because they don't have the knowledge or even the resources. And sometimes it's not even on their radar security um, because they're maybe not being a regulated environment or a, a compliance and you know that isn't, isn't an issue for them. So it just kind of got me doing more and more consulting work and helping people on the side um, as I developed my more corporate chops and started getting bigger roles. But I also kept always focusing on um, helping wherever I could. And that led me into my current role as a VC. So um, for our managed service clients, which desperately are in need because we focus on small, medium business and mid-market where they're, they're in need of some security thought leadership for sure. So you mentioned the website got defaced. So for listeners who don't know what that means, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, in this case, they went in and they uh, modified our graphics and they added content. Um, so they modified our HTML, they modified our style sheets, they modified graphics on our site. And that obviously was an embarrassment to the healthcare entity because people are coming to get good information and the, they came and were witnessing um, not very polite stuff that was put up on the site. So mm. that's not something you see much anymore, but that was the beginning yeah. of how people did things uh, back in, this was about 1999 when that happened. Okay. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Now, now being in the healthcare space specifically, that makes you have some experience with being at a HIPAA regulated entity. Yep. And I think that does create some 
cybersecurity nuances that not necessarily every virtual CISO knows. Has that influenced the way that you service customers now? Like, do you prefer to work with companies that are in the healthcare space or not? I mean, I'm sure you have a broader practice than that, but anything? Yeah, I mean, it, it, more recently, I've gotten more involved to the point where I actually just did a video at HIMSS conference because healthcare is being targeted and because of the complexity they need a lot of help because you have clinics, you have uh, emergency rooms, you have admissions, you have uh, NICU, all these have different security applications and they have different admissions. And there's just a lot of movement throughout every day of different types of people. So it's very easy to perpetrate um, installing stuff where it shouldn't be installed or presenting yourself as somebody social engineering your way into a hospital to get access where you shouldn't because there's just people running and, and active activity going throughout the day mm. and they have been a particular vehicle of attack or, um, you know, I should say a business that's been attacked over and over again, because security is harder when you have all these moving parts and the complexity that, that of healthcare businesses might have some more complexity, but they're, they're, they're structured more logically and they, people understand what each business unit is and they all go back up to a single entity usually but in healthcare, it's very disparate. And you have um, these basically silent entities in their own support groups, because a lot of med many times you have very biotechnical minded people that have mm -hmm. very strong technology been for, for those types of systems versus the network people versus the clinical people that are helping with the clinical technology. And when you have these different areas, it makes it very complex to support so bringing in the knowledge of HIPAA and high tech into the healthcare arena and helping healthcare just overall to, to understand their risk throughout all that, that I just discussed is very important. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge. And then I note from your background that, you know, you, you have moved from or you did move from being in the healthcare space to other companies, um, you know, like like PayPal and, and others. So. With that, with that experience you just said about how healthcare is so disparate and there's silos and there's a difficulty from the security side trying to manage all that, can you bring how things have changed over on the, um, let's say, in a business that's not in healthcare, and is that is the process easier, better, different, harder? What we what would you say? Yeah, I'd say. It's people think it's all equally hard, but if you break it down into sizable bites, it's not really as complex as people think it is security. We still fail consistently at basic blocking and tackling. So that's important in healthcare. It's also important when I went to Moody's and then to PayPal and then to this bank core processor, now to a managed service provider. We all have to do basic blocking and tackling, and we have to basically figure out how to tune our tools to get really good alerts. And the thing that would stop in an, uh, any small, medium business is they can maybe buy a tool and get it installed, but then what do they do with all the telemetry coming from that tool? Because if you don't know the nuances of how to tune it and what your network is and isn't or should and shouldn't be and what kind of traffic is flowing on it, you're just going to be dealing with a lot of data and noise. Yeah. Um so as I get into like, as I got into the fintechs and then into the banking world, they're just as highly regulated as healthcare. Mm -hmm. 
but different. And they have, um, they are, there's more controls and more to worry about. And there's definitive teeth there in that they don't come after you at first monetarily, but they come after you through embarrassment of any bank you do business with, any customer you have. If there's findings when the OCC or FDIC or FFIC come in, they relate that in the, um, to all of your customers, whether it be if you're a core bank processor or a core bank creator, all the banks that use your core are, are notified of your material deficiencies. And that makes your business um, take a big hit. You have to manage the PR, you have to manage uh, the reputation hit, and then you have to be able to answer that in a demonstrable way and show that you're changing. Um, and then they can come to monetary fines or other types of things that could happen to you if you persist in your bad behaviors or not doing the right things from a compliance perspective. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because you have it's your experience has certainly crossed quite a few highly regulated areas, especially here in the United States, where we have um, uh, very strong privacy and security laws over these particular industries. So how did you then decide to go from being in-house for, it looks like most of your career, to becoming a virtual CISO? It was really, um, in my current role, it was businesses just coming and asking, please help us. Hmm. Can we get your time? Can we get your expertise? Can we get your thought leadership? Can you come talk to our board? Can you come talk to our IT director? So I went to leadership and I said, I need to be able to go to an outfacing role because there's a demand there and it serves our mission um, of our overall holding company to actually do good. And I'm like, where else could we do good? But across all these business sectors from uh, manufacturing to healthcare to finance, which we are primarily focused on um, and now insurance, um, how do we help them to stem the tide. Um, and the only way you can do that is by giving, giving of them the type of knowledge that somebody that has been 20 years in the industry that understands business and executive and entrepreneurship um, on the side of my, you wanted to know something interesting. It's non-security. My wife and I have started up several um, private classical schools. And that teaches me a lot about running something that is non-technical, that has a lot of um, emotions behind it because people are very interested and involved in their children's education. Mm -hmm. And the classical model is so different than what we're teaching anywhere else. And to, to be able to explain that, you have to be a good marketer. You have to believe in your product because your, your passion is going to flow through. And you have to make um, hard decisions because you you want that education to be as um, as low cost as possible, but you also want it to be uh, bring a lot of value. So there's a lot of trade offs that have to occur, and that entrepreneur entrepreneurial mindset actually came into when I wanted to do this consulting as a VC. So um, that same thing. How do I convey and from a business sense and bring it down, distill it down to a level that anybody, any size business can not only attain good cybersecurity, but they can understand it. Yeah. And they know what the investment is and why that investment is important to their business. 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's very interesting. And, and what I really want to know from you is, so you joined FNTS, which you said is a managed service provider, already existing. What was your decision to, I assume you're building their virtual CISO side or, or how, did, how did you make the decision? Because it sounds like you had business coming at you. And so there was a decision there where you said, either I'm going to do this completely on my own, or I'm going to join another entity and, and, you know, build this practice within that entity. And it, and it sounds like the latter, but that's my question. Is, is that what you, what you thought? Yep. Yeah. So what I learned is because we're a managed service provider, we needed to, cons we needed to create a consulting practice to do this properly. Mm-hmm. Because when I go to a client, they don't want managed services. If they have them, great, but they may just want a point solution and they want me to be agnostic because they want the best solution for them. Yeah. The best tooling or the best insights or the best. So it's going to be different for every client based on where they are in their maturity, what their knowledge is. And so I had to get the buy-in um, that I may not be recommending anything that RMSP offers. I may be going off and offering something else. So I went out first and created probably 30 or 40 partnerships with different entities um, that would come in and work with me at different levels to provide different services um, at prices that I knew that small businesses could afford, medium-sized businesses could afford. So that I have point and suits, I can bring in different partners or vendors that I know that I can basically introduce to these customers to help them deliver what they need. And that's something that's still ongoing for me is, is finding, because a lot of the vendors out there will say they can actually scale down to small, medium business, but they can't. Okay. <laughs> they, so you have to challenge them. And what I find is they're, they're what I call the disruptors. These are the new companies that are coming in that have really niche, but very good products that haven't been bought up by the big players. And that's who I want to partner with because they provide a lot of value and they're very high touch, hands-on, and they're passionate. And that passion carries through to the business owner and that creates a really good relationship. I mean, it's really fascinating. So you really have your own, I would say, consulting practice within FNTS is what it sounds like to me. Have yep. you hired other people also to join you? Yes, I, I give... Uh, Right now, as we get started, I'm giving 30% of my time. And then my architect, who I brought with me from PayPal, um, he's doing the same thing, kind of getting his self. I'm helping him to get, you know, build up his knowledge and become a VC so himself. So okay. he'd be the second person in the practice. Um, and then given what we see, and I think you know this, this is why you're in this space, it is, there's a need, a mm -hmm. big need for, but not just for anybody. We have to have qualified people who understand. And I love where you come from an entrepreneur background. You have to think like these businesses and these startups to know what where they're coming from and how to approach them. And yep. if you don't have a little bit of that mindset or can't do some reading on that and understand the, the fears they have and the concerns to their cash flow and um, everything that's happening, you're never going to be able to provide the right solution for them. Um, or it, it may be a challenge for you to, to get that business. Yeah. I, I, I have found that being able to speak the language of your 
customer is is really critical. I mean, it's almost what you were saying before about you and your wife having started um, your own entrepreneurial journey, where the marketing side and the sales side, especially, you know, I'll take this now to cybersecurity, and cybersecurity is quite the challenge and unique because you can't assume that some type of blasting out an email to thousands of business emails is going to work in cybersecurity. So on the, and I talked to a lot of virtual CISOs who do agree with me that that's really hard, but it sounds like you have a bit of an easier time with it. So I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which is what has been the hardest part of starting as your own business in cybersecurity consulting? It's really building the credibility of trust. So mm-hmm. you, in, in establishing the relationships, you have to get those first few customers that will be your advocates and help tell your story because that power is, I can't do enough marketing to count, you know, to given what someone else might say about me, that relationship that I can build and they're speaking on my behalf for me and in being my advocate and my cheerleader to others is the best value I can get. I can't spend enough money in marketing to count, you know, to match what they're able to do with their opinion of me. So it's critical that I'm really careful in building trust and credibility very early on with all my clients and then asking them to help share if they like me so that I can build that store of wealth of people that are engaged with me, but also value my services enough to be willing to speak to others on on that. Absolutely. And it's something that we haven't talked that much about on the podcast. So mechanical question here, do you set out from the outset with your customers or clients that they will provide you with a recommendation or a referral if you do a good job, or do you wait until you know they're happy before you ask them that question? I have, this is my personal bend because of how I work. Um, mm-hmm. If I don't provide value and we don't see a good relationship, I'm never going to ask that because it wouldn't be true. So I want to know that not only have we met with them, but we provided them some value and they're seeing that value. They're experiencing it. We've made material changes and that's they're managing security now then I would ask. Um, And that's probably going to be three months down the road because I want to make sure that we have some continuity so that when someone comes and asks them, it's not, oh, well, we negotiated this up front or we talked about this right after the implementation. No, how is it three, four months, five months out? Mm -hmm. Because that's when the relationship tends to struggle is we've handed it over, you're now operating and now I've turned my back and I'm somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, But can you get my time Am I still providing value to you? Yeah. And yeah. do I still understand because your business is changing while I'm static over here? Am I mm-hmm. able to come back in and see where your business is six months later or a year later? Because if I'm doing my job right, I'm helping your businesses succeed and to grow. Right. And that would be the, the best way is for me to help your business because your visibility, now you have another thing that you can market to. We're secure or we're compliant. Um, or we're proactive in our security. If you can start to make that promise to customers as a business, you're going to get more sales just because people want that comfort. So if you can provide that, 
why not help that business to grow? And then I've become even more valuable to them by being a business partner. So what I'm picking up from you, oh, sorry. Um, but what I'm picking up from you is that you work with the small, medium business businesses, particularly that's, that's who you would like to provide cybersecurity consulting businesses, uh, services for. And that also, um, you work with them on a ongoing basis. You know, I've talked to some virtual CISOs who come in for a project and then they, that's it, they're done. But it sounds like you have a much more, um, long-term relationship with them. So, you know, you're on the show, give us a little bit of your pitch. Like, tell us a little bit about what's unique about your services. Well, really it's, it's talking about what we're already doing. And then I talk about the things that really can help them from a business perspective. So it's understanding that if you don't have a good policy framework, you can never attach anything to, um, you can't enforce anything. So you have a hard time managing your, your security. But then I also say, I don't think you need to have all the normal security tools. I talk about um, deception as a big disruptor. So it's hmm. particularly when I talk about disruption, I'm talking canaries. So if we assume breach, which we're not being true if we don't tell our customers that it's really hard to do security and we can't protect you 100%. So if that's our value up front is that clarity. Um, but you can spend enough to make yourself a challenge and that's what we're heading towards. So a canary, the idea is it lets you know that something's wrong. And for a lot of small companies, it could be insiders poking around getting stuff that they're going to take to a competitor that's more important to you than the outside attack because that's a conversation a lot of people don't know or to have or aren't having is that whole insider threat of the competitive market, especially if you're an entrepreneur with a really good idea, but you don't have good strong IP yet. You don't have a legal mm -hmm. team. You don't have anybody protecting that. And it can walk out the door and ruin you and go to your competitor, strengthen them. Yeah. Um, so outside of deception in the canary model, I start talking about the power of AI to be that entity you may not be able to hire a security person, but what if that AI, which it can be, if you think about the self-aware AIs that are coming out, mm -hmm. what if that AI is that person that sits on your network and watches 24, seven, 365 and can help you to clear up the, the all the noise and bring all the issues to you in a, in a concise matter that with context. Yes. Yeah. Those are the two things that I really hone in on because those are super good values that don't have a super high cost. And the other tools, AV and that they're perfect. You can go out and buy whatever you want for that. Cause they're all going to basically do very similar things. But, and then if they really want to go to like an MDR solution, that's a whole different conversation because that's a big investment. Hmm. So I, uh, I talk about the basic blocking tackling. I talk about deception. I talk about AI. And then I just talk about uh, the fact that if you don't have a good policy framework, you can't do enforcement of anything and you really have no legs to stand on, especially from an insider perspective. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, if, if you don't follow your policies and you get sued, then uh, that is something that it comes up in litigation. But anyway, we are running close to the end of time. I could talk to you forever more about that AI concept that you just mentioned because it's something that is close to my heart. But I'm going to abstain since I know we have uh, come up close to the end here. Yeah. One quick question. Any favorite cybersecurity or business book that you would recommend to our listeners? 
Um, honestly, I think we need to get better verse in business. So I'm trying to think um, really any book that you can get around entrepreneurship around startups is going to make you a better VC. So, so security books, I don't think we need them. We already know this stuff. Yeah. Um, if you don't, you probably shouldn't be consulting on it. <laughs> so <laughs> you should be learning more about business and, and the startup culture and the language and the stressors. That's going to make you a better CISO because these are your targets that are going to bring the most value and really help the economy. I think that's very good advice. Well, Don, I appreciate your time today. Can you let your the listeners know how they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn under Don Pekka. So LinkedIn slash IN Don Pekka, or you can find me on FNTS.com. Perfect. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And for my listeners out there, you can find all of our blogs and this podcast on Substack and on Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. Don, thanks again. It was a pleasure talking to you. Really interesting. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks. It was a joy for me as well. Thanks. You as well.